hate to admit this, but the Beatles were right. All we need is love. It just changes people's lives. Just sat over for a second, and you think that money's going to make you happy? Let me categorically tell you, as homeless, it does not. You create your own happiness with people around you. Just have fun, guys. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe, and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. As a practicing family doctor with expertise in lifestyle as medicine, my purpose is to encourage and support you in terms of positive health, personal growth, and all things well-being. As I say, to never stop starting. Each month on a live webinar, I teach learning by doing and learning by being. The why and the how of health enhancing habits, giving you the science as well as support strategies to live with more vitality. I'd like to invite you to join my self-development club. To learn more and to sign up, visit drmarkrow.com. I'm delighted to be joined in the doctor's chair today by Dr. Rob Kelly, who believes in treating the causes of addiction and not just the symptoms. His 2019 book, Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking, chronicles his true life story, his personal fight and struggle on a journey from alcohol addiction and homelessness to recovery, not just personally, but professionally in becoming a sought after recovery expert. Before Rob succumbed to addiction and mental health issues, he was an accomplished musician and played bass guitar at Abbey Studios with Queen, David Bowie and Elton John. Dr. Kelly is a frequent contributor to media in the Texas area of the US, to USA Today, and he's participated in McLean Hospital, their associated with Harvard Medical School, in research on the stigma associated with mental illness. Rob also lectures at the University of Texas at San Antonio about addiction and recovery. As the CEO of the Rob Kelly Recovery Group, Dr. Kelly is currently an addiction and mental illness recovery specialist with a coaching company he has created based on extensive research and behavior studies that he has conducted over the past 20 years. Rob, welcome to the doctor's chair. Thank you so much, Dr. Mark. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Rob, I'd love to start our conversation by by looking back. Uh, could you talk to me and our listeners about your own relationship with alcohol? Well, I, you know, I was an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. I started drinking at the age of nine years old on stage in Liverpool, England. Most people know where that is. And alcoholism is in my family. So it kind of set off that chain reaction to one day, you know, ended up in hospital, prison or, or dead. Um, so, yeah, chronic alcoholic, lost everything, ended up homeless. Uh, so my children don't even speak to me 30 odd years on because of what happened and decided that if I ever got off the streets in Manchester, England, which I was on for 14 months, I would dedicate my life not only to the alcoholic or addict who wants to recover, but to their families as well. And that's kind of been my mission so far. I've been sober for a long time, but I kind of know uh, psychologically how the disease works. So. It's still one day at a time for me. 
Mm. I think one day at a time, it's a, it's a wonderful way um, to live your life because, of course, we all of us only ever have the present moment. And, you know, the past is gone. The future hasn't yet arrived. And, of course, that can be, it sounds so simple, but that can be so difficult. Rob, can I just ask you about what you describe as your, your spiritual journey and, and your spiritual encounter when you were in the depths of addiction and homelessness? I remember being on the, I was on the streets for 14 months. It was a dark night, raining about two o'clock in the morning on a Monday morning. And I was down near the factories and there was no houses or people there. And I dropped down and uh, I was an atheist at the time because of stuff that had happened at school with my headmaster and choir master. Uh, but I remember dropping down to my hands and knees after everything, the suicide attempts on two occasions I died. And it brought me back to life, the losses, the, you know, the, the fear, everything I'd been through. And I looked up to the sky, Dr. Mark, and I said these words, if there is a God up there, I can't do this on my own anymore. And later, a guy was walking past the middle of nowhere with a little Bible in his hand, said he'd missed his last bus home from a Bible study. He'd been walking for two hours and tried this new shortcut. And he came upon me and right he said, come back to my house and everything changed from, from that moment onwards. It's quite extraordinary. Obviously, you've, you've, you've gone through, you know, some really challenging, tough, dark times. Looking back now, Rob, I mean, grateful reframing is a term I use a lot. And it's, it's a very powerful idea in positive psychology. The idea that we can, you know, we can grow from adversity, we can grow from setbacks and we can develop a new sense of purpose and perspective and meaning. How have you grown from your experiences to date? What lessons have you learned? How has it made you stronger? The lesson that I learned was the biggest lesson for every human being is you can really do anything you want to do and be anybody you want to be. Quantum physics tells us this, so, you know, science tells us this, religion tells us this, spirituality tells us this. And I think once I was always putting the brakes on my imagination because of learned behavior. You know, you can't do this, you can't do that, you're not supposed to do this. It's all learned behavior when I brought into my adult life thought I wasn't capable of doing. The, the fact of the matter is, and the scientific fact is once we visualize something strong enough, then we can hold that in our hand and that we are capable of much, much more than we think. We only use parts of the brain, you know, percentage, 25, 30 parts of, the, of what we believe we can do. And I think once people realize that and realize that, the presence and the time is now and that we don't have time everybody thinks they have time we don't so go buy that house that you know rent that house buy that car date that girl now uh, i think that's the essence i think that's what i've learned from all of my journeys over the 61 years is what you have now is temporary but where you want to be in five years time five days time You've only got to focus on that, visualize that, get a spiritual, well, you know, if it's God, if it's Uncle Jimmy, if it's the universe, it makes no difference. I truly believe that the human being needs a spiritual connection uh, with, it, with, with something bigger than us. And once that happens, I think, in my opinion, with over 8,000 patients in 35 years in the industry, that you see remarkable things follow and you see other people doing the same and it creates this whole new world of possibilities that just makes for a great life. Mm, I think possibility is a wonderful word. You know, Kierkegaard, the philosopher, once said, in this life, don't give me wealth or power, but give me possibility. There's no, oh, wow. no rose as fragrant as the power of possibility itself. And as you said, it does start with belief and it does start with believing in yourself. And my own experience, Rob, it often 
requires you to have good people around you. I mean, have you got a supportive network around you today? You have to. It, it's vital for me that I have them people because you'll know this, Dr. Mike. Nobody tells us that we're doing great. Nobody tells us and supports us. It can be very lonely. If you're a leader of any sort, it can get very lonely. People think you already know. Oh, have you seen Dr. Robbie's amazing? Have you told him that? No, he already knows. Nobody knows, first of all. So here's a scenario. I'm in Dallas, Texas, where I lived for the first 12 years I was in America. And I always thought I'd write a book. And I, I used to say to my friends around me, I'm thinking of writing a book. And, and one started laughing. The other one said, don't be silly. You have to be an author. And the other one commented something. So I never wrote a book. I came to San Antonio, Texas, which is four hours away from Dallas. I guess a new set of friends that are really positive, all in recovery and doctors and scientists and road sweepers and mix of people around me. And I said to them one day, I said, hey guys, I'm thinking of writing a book. One said, oh my goodness, I thought you already had books out. The other guy said, oh, I'll buy it straight away. So I wrote a book. That's the kind of thing that I have to have around me. Rob, you need to rest. You need to take care of yourself, Rob. If you can't be taking care of others, the support, the kind words, the, the camaraderie between me and my close circle of friends. And I don't have a lot. I have about six or seven, but uh, I, I keep well protected. I can lean on them. They can lean on me. Mm. And together we can create. And we, and we like to tell others you can create a world like you want it to be as long as you have a good set of people around you. Mm, I think that's really wise advice to have a strong network uh, of support. I suppose the architecture of the human brain means, you know, we're hardwired for fear, detection, avoidance and survival. And, you know, often the inner critic is what shou shouts most loudly, as opposed to uh, that little supportive voice that we all need to hear at times as well. Rob, well, like can I ask you, in your opinion, with all of your wealth of experience in terms of supporting people with addiction, where does addiction come from? What fuels addiction and addictive personality? Uh, well, a normal addiction, uh, because uh, our re uh, scientific reports and, and tests and studies have shown that alcoholics are born, it's hereditary, it's passed down from generation, but drug addicts are made. So fear mm. and trauma, that's the two words. You see, we're only born with, with two, babies are born with two fears, a fear of loud noises and a fear of, of falling. Mm. The rest, I believe, and we believe as a research team, are man-made. We're taught to be fearful. We turn on the news, we're fearful. Mm. You know, we're, we're fearful around us all the time. People want to keep us in fear. If you want to, by the way, sort 90% of your problems out, turn the TV off for a few days or a couple of weeks, you'll realize. But yeah, trauma is the gateway drug as far as we're concerned in the addiction industry. Is what root, it causes everything. It's the root problem of everything that we go through. Um, and But to say, to make that comment, then you have to start pulling apart the trauma because Alcoholics in, in general hear things differently to other people. I mean, my mom might say to both of us, me and my brother, get down off the table. He jumps down, I freeze. Because what I've heard, get out of the table. That's the kind of stuff that we got into because mm -hmm. I used to suffer from a child. So trauma in itself, everybody, alcoholics and addicts have deep, obsessed, tiny little fragments that are huge. So in the normal, uh, you look at the normal therapy industry, and health industry they talk about big t's and small t's with alcoholics and addicts there is no such thing as small t's everything is a big trauma and we walk around filling that trauma and we never get rid of it so you know if you've ever seen a deer being hit by a cow but not died what happens is that it will stay uh, frozen for a second then it'll jump up and what happens next the deer will shake violently for about three to six seconds then it'll run on its way. Same day at the same time, the same point with the same car, the deer will run out again. Why? 
because it shook off its fear. That shaking right after the incident has shaken off that fear so that the deer doesn't suffer from that fear going forward. Human beings don't do that. We hold, we hold, we hold, we hold, and then all of a sudden, we're, we're, it's, like a, it's like a file on your desktop, a zip file. You know, you put stuff in there you can't deal with right now, you're too big. One day you're bored, you click on it, and all this stuff comes at you at once. It's too much to handle. And I think that's what fuels addiction. Something I often say to my patients about alcohol is it, it can be a good servant, but it's a very bad master. Yes. And, and you know, really alcohol really can become the great destroyer uh, in terms of relationships, in terms of sense of self, self-esteem, physically. I mean, I, I often think as a doctor, the physical manifestations of alcohol dependency are very late to show up. It's it's really the emotional, the psychological, the the mind, the relationships, the carnage, the destruction, mm. isn't it? It is. Everything I came across, anybody I came across, I infected with my disease. So my, my brain set from learned behavior and caregivers around me was I had to live in chaos because that's the way I grew up. So if I'm seeing my dad hit my mom, you know, because he's in a drunken rampage and I get a relationship going into my teens and it feels naturally for me to do the same to my wife. And what happens with that learned behavior is when I don't and I marry a nice girl and everything's going good, I will self-sabotage that situation to make sure that it always devastates because good for me, I would run away and self-sabotage because I knew in my head it was going to go south anyway. So I'm going to do it first to you before you do it to me. Mm. And it was a cycle of, of just craziness for so many years. And the understanding of that in general, because if you ask most people now what an alcoholic is, they'll tell you it's somebody who drinks too much alcohol or somebody you can't control. Our research has shown that alcohol has 1% to do with alcoholism, period. The rest, I didn't have a drinking problem, Dr. Mark. I had a thinking problem. That was my problem. Because when I took the alcohol away, I was still left with me. I was still left with the guy that destroyed things around him, that lived in chaos. And if any peace came into my life, it felt weird and I didn't like it. So I would cause chaos to get into that comfort zone that I thought was going to be okay. Fascinating. I mean, I love that term self-sabotage. And oh. it's something I've seen so, so often where people just literally press that red button in the brain and, and blow up good things in their lives. And... You're talking about emotional sobriety and how emotions can really play havoc with, with your sense of well-being. So, Rob, that brings me to, you know, how, how is your approach to supporting people with addiction? Well, we don't look at the same look at the problem. The problem isn't the alcohol and drugs. The problem is in our makeup. The pro problem is in our in our behavior. So what we do is, is we go after what the real problem is. And what we found, again, is... There's three parts of the brain, the alcoholic that differs from other parts of the brain because alcoholics are born this way. And this is deep scientific research. Papers are coming out next next year. Uh, the amygdala, which which is our smoke alarm, mm -hmm. uh, the trauma, that's, where we, that's mostly what we do. Our hypothalamus um, that tells normal people to drink water and eat food to survive, uh, at some point during my drinking career, it turned around and tells me to drink alcohol. That's why I can go days or weeks without alcohol, without food or water. And then the basal ganglion, the repetition. So we, we focus on those three. We focus on family. We found out that when we work with family and include them in the alcoholic's journey, uh, the success rate goes up by 42%. So when we brag of our 97% success rate, that's 42% of it. We can't, it's a family illness. So we use somatic experience. We use 
neuro linguistic programming. We use the latest research called brain spotting, normal psychology, behavioral science. Uh, we use with them as well. Plus, we're a concierge service, so we only take on four patients, and we kind of redevelop the whole. We rewire the brain and redevelop uh, the whole lifestyle and extended family around that patient. Because what happens normally is if you're going to see a doctor or a therapist once a week, my my brain and most alcoholics' brains will self-sabotage from Monday and Wednesday when you see the therapist next. So we believe repetition strengthened confirms with addiction that has to be seen every day. So in the early days, that's why our program is a 90 to 180 day program daily, every day done by telehealth to rewire that, the part of the brain. Of course, the central nervous system needs to calm down somatic experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a whole, we, the, the, the program is, is very successful because of, because of that. You see, I always thought I was allergic to alcohol. I thought that was the latest research. It's not. I'm actually allergic to the ethanol in alcohol. That makes a big difference. When I'm trying to stay away from something and hide myself away from alcohol, when in re- reality, I never had a choice over that in the beginning. The choices to whether I drink or not was taken away at an early age because the way my brain works around alcohol, not drugs, oh. slightly different, but kind of, they kind of both present themselves. So I think the, the neuroscience uh, and neuroplasticity latest research is what we use that a lot of people don't. A lot of people are in the belief that if you put away somebody in an isolated environment for 30, 60, 90 days, that when they come out, they won't drink again. That is not the truth. Mm. 96, 97% of treatment centers fail. There's only In America, there's only three or 4% success rate. Um, we're 97%. So I think all that combined to, together, Dr. Mark, is, one, is so successful. And the reason of the understanding, the training, the education, and the passion with our company to generally, generally help. I, I turned Britney Spears down the singer for a million dollars is what they offered me 14 years ago when I came to America. And I turned them down for one reason. I turned them down because she wasn't ready. Mm. And if somebody isn't, but what the normal person obviously will do is take the money uh, and go through the motions. I can't do that because of my spiritual journey and my beliefs. And because I, if you're not ready, I, we will not take your money. I'm sorry. We turned down more people than anybody else. And I think that respect and, and, and around the treatment industry as a whole, that we're the guys that are not in this for the money. I could retire tomorrow, to be honest with you, and never work again and have a, have a Rolls Royce every six months. I mean, money's nothing. Mm-hmm. What is really rare these days is passion, is concern, yeah. is working with the family. Oh, you can't afford it. Let me work with you. Well, I can afford $10 a week. Good. Because that's not, it's not about the money. It's about saving your life and reuniting your family. That's what it's about, core yes. belief. Well, you know, as I read once, you know, people won't really care about the qualifications. Uh, you stick up on the wall until they know that you care. And I think caring through a strong sense of values, as you said, allied to passion and purpose really can can really make all the difference. And of course, having a, a strong support network around you, as you said, to rehabilitate the person. Mm-hmm. It's it's not just treating the symptoms. It, it's cure. It's healing, isn't it? it it's it's um, reimagining a future um, free of addiction. Rob, how do you stay healthy now yourself? That's a great question, which many, a few people ask me, believe it or not. But yeah, I, I have, well, first of all, I do the 24 hours a day. I do what I'm doing tomorrow. My assistant will give me my day tonight, which I'm in luxury to do that. But I, I keep a, a routine in my life. Mm, I keep structure. a routine. I keep a, a very, very tight structure. Yeah. Um, I keep a routine. I get to the gym every day. Uh, I have time. I love them. I have three English Bulldogs. 
we donate a lot of money back to people and uh, we compliment three people every day, both me and my wife. And uh, just be that example of loving another human being, despite mm. the color, the size, the, you know, whatever it is, just, just oozing and tolerance to every person. And that gives me great joy. And we have a swimming pool and a hot tub in the backyard, so it also helps. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, you're so right, actions speak louder than words, and there's so much fulfillment to be got from, from helping others in even just very small, simple ways. I, I sense gratitude is very important to you, Rob. Oh, 100%. I write 10 things that I'm grateful for every single day when I get up. Uh, so grateful for so many things that I have. Grateful for, I think, I think, I think if you're in gratitude, it's impossible to, and that, that, that's it. You know, gratitude is number one, always has to be from where I was to where I am, because I definitely know it's humanly impossible. So I had to have some kind of help, but now I'm here using my past as the greatest gra gra grati gratitude, gratitude list, grateful in general is the top of my list every single day. There's not a second goes by that I'm not grateful. I'm grateful to be here with you today. So grateful. Well, I'm grateful to have you too, Rob. As I say, you know, gratitude brings perspective to the past, peace at the present moment and a sense of, of hope and, and, and optimism for the future. Rob, obviously, you're a very resilient person. You've overcome a lot of adversity to become the person you are today. Can you give our listeners three take homes for a resilient mind? Believe in yourself. Mm -hmm. That's the number one. Okay. Help others. I always try and give back and help others and be a leader. The world is lacking leaders. Be that, what, me sat at home? Yes, if you're listening to this, you're listening for a reason. Be that leader. Believe in yourself, help others, and be a leader in your own well-being, in your own life. That's wonderful. Finally, for you, Rob, what's the meaning of life? The meaning of life is core beliefs, and my core belief personally is to help others. Be that, that leader, again, goes back to leadership. And and I think most people like all head down, being serious with whether you're rich or poor, whether you've got a job or not. People are too serious these days. You know, practicing smiling and listening to people are two commodities that are really hard to get. You know, we have to practice it and, and we're all on the same path because helping each other need to admit this. But the Beatles were right. All we need is love. It just changes people's lives. Just sat over a second and you think that money's going to make you happy? Let me categorically tell you, as homeless, it does not. You create your own happiness with people around you. Just have fun, guys. Well, Rob, it's been wonderful having you in the doctor's chair. Keep leading, keep inspiring, keep helping others. And to quote the Beatles, uh, all we need is love. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Rob, so much. Thank you so much indeed, Mark. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.